The Mustard Tavern Keepers History of the Old World. He has returned. He is risen. Welcome back to the world of the living it up, O oh, noble knight. Ah, my, oh my, what a welcome. What have you been drinking in my brief absence? Ah, uh, nothing, nothing. I mean, uh, I mean ale. Uh, definitely not rum. Definitely ale. Ah, uh, yeah. Hmm. So, wieso? The second keg of Triple X has arrived, I see. So, uh, let's have another. <laughs> ah, the nectar of the gods. So, in case you were wondering, I did not fall asleep on the latrine, nor did anything untoward transpire. No, no, no. After relieving myself, I noticed something. A sound. Or rather, the lack of it. The ubiquitous Tobaro rain had stopped. In its place there was a pitter-patter and the sound of wind. I went downstairs to put my head outside. I was not mistaken in my suspicions. It has begun to snow. Go take a look. Finally. The snows have arrived. Winter has come. The rainy autumn almost always gives way to the winter snows without a pause for breath. It's the cold wind from the northern wastes, you see. It comes howling down over the whole of the old world this time of year and gets funneled towards the city by the Abasco Mountains above us. It'll be like this until just shy of Mitterfuel, I'd say. Oh, I mean the uh, spring equinox, as you say here in Tilia. All the more reason, though, to get yourselves a drink in your bellies, boys and girls. Ah. Now, I was uh, going to mention this as soon as I entered the room, but... Uh, ah, well, I cannot help but remark, Master Tavern Keeper, what an impressive pipe you have. Oh, uh, I told the tailor these trousers were too tight. Ah, ah, you mean the one I'm smoking? Ah, yes, of course you did. Um, why, thank you. It was a gift from the uh, guildmaster for recovering some dwarf treasures that he had thought lost, but were in fact only hidden. A story for another day, perhaps. But right now, we are ready to hear about the rest of the voyage of Marco Colombo. Heinrich, you had gotten us to the point where the three ships under the explorer's command had finally reached the open waters of the great ocean. 
And I uh, gave the rest of the neophytes here a little uh, background on the great ocean whilst you were relieving yourself. So from this point onwards, it must have been plain sailing for Marco and the others. Yeah, yeah, uh, no. Uh, the answer to that is no. From the time that the Arabian flotilla had left them, they could have headed directly west and reached the shores of Lustria on the isthmus between the southern lands of the Lizardmen and the northern west of the Dark Elves. But Colombo wanted to avoid the waters controlled by the Norse in the vicinity of the settlement of Skeggy on Lustria. And he also did not want to veer too close to the island of Ulthuan on the way. If they encountered the High Elves on the sea, their voyage would be at an end, and the wrecks of their ships would join the others lost at sea in Galleon's graveyard. Thus, the explorer took his ships on a more southwesterly bearing, initially. They had not been sailing for more than three days when they came upon the debris of another ship an Estalian vessel, drifting in the water. It must have been torn to pieces by the look of the shredded wreckage on the surface. Bobbing nearest to them in the water was a barrel, to which a sailor had strapped himself. He was dead, the lower half of his whitened body was missing. But it did not look as if he had been torn away by frenzied sharks, as is the most common fate of those lost at sea. Rather, it looked as if he had been snipped in two by a pair of shears. Frightened whispers began to circulate amongst the crews of the three ships, and the rumour started that it must have been the bite of a kraken. That many tentacled monstrosity from the deep. Marco dealt with these by increasing the grog rations on his ship, whilst retelling stories of naval accidents that had neatly cut a man in two. The cruel Giovanni dealt with the naysayers on his vessel in his usual fashion, with the whip and an overzealous devotion to inflicting pain. My grandpapa, a Nordlander, if you recall, dealt with the rumours in an altogether different way. He embraced them. Now, there is only one known predator that hunts the kraken, and that is the black sayoverm. Perhaps you are familiar with these, Master Tavernkeeper? Ah, yes. I've only heard a few stories, though. They live in the deep, deep ocean, and are most closely related to the albino pago worms you sometimes encounter around Nagaroth, if those are... Old elven stories are to be believed, that is. Yes. Ah, sorry, neophytes. So, uh, the Sio worm is a type of mereworm. We mentioned them early, remember? One of the few surviving beasts indigenous to our world, harking back to the time before the, uh, old ones began meddling in our affairs. However, Heinrich, as a Nordlander yourself, you must be the expert on mereworms here. The Sea of Claws up there has more than its fair share of mealworms in its waters. Probably more than anywhere else in the world, by all accounts. Uh, yeah, this is true, 
Indeed, I saw my first van at the tender age of four off the coast of Norden. Neither the local town crier nor his family had come down into the city in a couple of days. Such things are soon noticed in the parochial corners of the world. As my grandpapa was in town for a Gvat Pai gaming tournament being held at the tavern The Flotsam und Jetsam, he joined a hastily assembled militia to go and investigate. The town crier's abode was right on the coast, overlooking an estuary. My grandpapa had no one he could trust to look after me in the town and so brought me along in a basket on his back. When we reached the town crier's house, it had been half demolished and blood trails crisscrossed the snow. Within the remains of the house, curled up, was a mere worm. It had a lean, strong, serpentine, sinuous body, covered in scales and four stubby limbs, each ending with vicious blood-soaked talons. Its body was a silver green that became red at its extremities. Upon seeing the search party brandishing their torches, it launched itself out of the house, past the startled militia, and down the rocky shore, back into the icy sea. Its hunger had already been sated, it seemed, on the town crier and his family, and it only wanted to digest its meal. Fortunately for us. Sowieso, back to the tale of Marco Colombo. After seeing the dead man strapped to the barrel, my grandpapa convinced his crew that the best way to protect themselves from the kraken was to call forth a worm from the depths to hunt down the beast that was infesting the waters. To this end, he taught them an ancient charm used by some of the hermit mages you sometimes find wandering the forests of Nordland. He got his men to chant, Anal Nathrak Uthvas Bethud Dokiel Dienve Anal Nathrak Uthvas Bethud Dokiel Dienve Which means uh, something like uh, Serpent's Breath, Charm of Life and Death, Your Song of Making. At least as far as I can understand. It makes the desires of the speaker come to pass as far as I can tell, uh, at least with enough time and effort put in. And maybe a, uh, a dollop of magical skill does not go amiss. Although my grandpapa would always say that there is a little bit of magic in each of us, and if we work together, we can do anything. The hermit, or truth sayer, as he called himself, that taught my grandpapa the charm, claimed he came from old Albion long ago. But uh, as to the truth of this, uh, that is uh, anybody's guess. Ah, we shall have to ask our local alchemist, Cedric, about that. He hails from the mist-hidden Albion too. 
although he is very reticent about talking about the land of his birth, and even more reluctant to discuss how he came to be here in Tobaro. He is quite the enigma, although a thoroughly good chap nonetheless. Yeah, yeah, Magnus the Bright, my dear friend and wizard, expressed very much the same sentiments with regards your alchemist. So, my grandpapa had his crew chanting all day and all night, alternating with periods of drumming in time with the ship's bells. I'm guessing as you all live here in the port of Tabaro, you know all about the uh, eight bells, <laughs> of course. Actually, I don't think the neophytes here are that informed upon such uh, maritime matters, Heinrich. It's all uh, engineering, engineering, engineering down at the guild, right? Yes. See, si, see. Si. In that case, please let me explain. Ships use the eight bells system to mark the time. The ship's bell is chimed every half an hour for each of the six four-hour watches of a day. After the first half an hour of a watch, the ship's bell is rung once. And then, the half-hour glass we use to keep time is turned over. After the sands have again run out, we chime the bell twice in quick succession, and then turn the half-hour glass again. When it again runs out, we ring the bell twice and once, so three times altogether, and so on until the watch is relieved, and the bell is rung eight times, four sets of two quick chimes which is why the system is called the Eight Bells. Yeah, yeah, and uh, thank you. So, my grandpapa had his watchman chant for the first bell, drummed and stamped until the second bell, and then chanted again until the third bell, and so on. He said it had a very calming effect on the whole crew, if nothing else. As to its effectiveness, I will let you judge that. For yourselves. Another three days after the discovery of the first ship's debris, Marco's ships encountered another. This too had been torn to pieces, and the sea was strewn with splintered wood and shredded cargo. But Marco's ships did not have much time to look at it, as suddenly a huge tentacle loomed out of the water and plucked a sailor off of Giovanni's ship, La Sirene, that was sailing at the rear of the trio of ships, and it dragged him under the waves. Another tentacle then grabbed the ship by its rudder, and it cracked. The vessel then lurched in the water as the many long arms of a kraken grabbed the hull of the ship and the body of the beast rose up from out of the waters. My grandpapa, whose ship was closest, said he could see many men running about in a panic, but in the midst of it all, Giovanni was standing, angrily defiant on the deck, his whip in hand, lashing anyone within reach to get them to start hacking at the creature's arms with their axes. Marco trained his long Arabian navigator's telescope onto the beast and its prey. He would later reveal to my grandpapa that in that moment he was in two minds as to whether to go to the aid of Giovanni or flee. But 
The three skaven prisoners he needed for his plan were aboard Giovanni's ship, and so he ordered the vessel to swing to port and bring their cannons to bear on the Kraken. My grandpapa, too, ordered his ship to swing, but to the starboard, so as to come at the beast from the opposite direction. Meanwhile, the chanting and drumming on my grandpapa's ship reached a fever pitch. Suddenly, out of the water, a tall, long black fin surfaced, followed by a powerful draconic tail. They were visible for but a moment before sinking back below the waves. The Kraken continued to maul Giovanni's ship, using its tentacles to pull men off the deck and toss them into its beaked maw, whilst slowly squeezing the boat's hull with its crushing arms. Then, in a blistering instant, the waters around Silene exploded, and the Kraken released the ship as it was dragged under by a black sleek shape that launched itself at the beast. My grandpapa described it as resembling a mere worm, but far larger, its sinewy body covered in glistening jet black scales and spikes. Giovanni's vessel rocked in the swirling waters left behind by the kraken's abrupt disappearance, and Marco, watching intently through his telescope, was sure it was going to be dragged under, but by some miracle, it managed to stay afloat. By the gods! I had no idea Marco Columba had encountered a kraken. Yeah, yeah, it is not a story that Marco particularly wanted circulated around, as he really didn't do anything heroic. If anything, it was the uh, superstitious chanting of my grandpapa and his crew that saved La Salene, although it equally could have been simply good luck. Either way, it did not add to Marco's legend, and so he did not chronicle it. In his official record of the voyage, it merely claims that the ladder of Lysarene was damaged in rough seas. The eventual fate of many of the crew also helped hide his moment of indecision. But more on that in due course. In the aftermath, they had to conduct a great many repairs on Giovanni's ship, to be honest, many of these were easily accomplished, but the broken rudder was a major problem. The crew was able to secure the rudder with ropes so the ship could limp along, but it was not ideal. There was also one more consequence of this incident. Marco decided to split up the three Skaven prisoners, caging one in each of the holds of his ships. This would become a major sticking point with many members of the crew in the subsequent months. The closest piece of land to the ships was the Sorcerer's Island off the coast of Araby. This has long been a haven for visits of Araby. Here, 
magic users went and still go to this very day to safely study the arts of magic and avoid falling prey to the predations of chaos. In the distant past, the islands were used by the elves as an outpost for keeping watch for invaders from the old world, but they were abandoned after the War of the Beard. Hundreds of years later, the Arabians settled the islands and constructed an immense tower fortress over the old elven ruins to house their magical order. Marco had worked for many members of the higher echelons of the Order of Sorcerers during his time as a merchant around Araberi, securing them many artifacts and recovering lost treasures. He felt it was time to call in a few favors and request their help in fixing La Sirene. The three ships once more unfurled the maritime flags of La Chic and made for the islands. Here, Marco was warmly welcomed, and they were able to complete the repairs to Giovanni's boat and restock up on provisions. They remained in port for a full week before Marco decided they had squandered enough time and they must once more set sail. Ah, thank you, Heinrich. If you don't mind, I'd like to take a very short break. I have just noticed that the snow does seem to be falling more heavily than it was earlier. And, so, if you'll excuse me for a moment, I'm just going to go and throw some rock salt outside the main door so we do not get locked in. I shall again be back in a jiffy. Oh, and neophytes, don't let Heinrich see the uh, R-U-M. He needs to stick to the ale or we will never hear the end of his tale.